Grab your mason jars, strap on that apron. It's time for Canning with the Diva. Making her mark across the globe. Teaching you how to safely preserve delicious recipes. Please welcome your host, Diane Devereaux, the Canning Diva. Everyone, thank you for tuning in to another episode of Canning with the Diva. I'm Diane Devereaux, and I am super excited. I think I start every podcast that way because I truly am. I am excited to bring you more canning knowledge and information and recipes and everything that embodies food preservation because my goal is to make sure that your questions are answered, your confidence is high, and you have everything you need to feel safe when preserving food in jars for you and your family. Today, I want to talk about understanding botulism when you're home canning. My goal with today's podcast is to end the misguided fear of contracting botulism while you're home canning. I mean, it's important that you learn what botulism truly is, how to kill the toxin, and what you can do to stay safe when home canning and preserving food in jars. Now, the reason I was prompted to not only create this podcast, but also blog about this very topic is I'm noticing more and more as we are in our homes and on social media and using the internet, there is just, there's just so much misinformation out there. Now, while the internet and the social media are wonderful tools that we use every day, it also gives many the platform to share misinformation and create a very stressful environment filled with contempt. I'm sure we have all experienced this stress at one time or another, especially in canning groups administered by uneducated amateurs who proclaim to be experts. There's nothing worse than a keyboard warrior in a canning group who possesses limited knowledge of the bacterium, yet wields scare tactics and fear in an effort to prevent canners from enjoying the time-honored craft of home canning and preserving. Ladies and gentlemen, at the end of the day, I would like to believe that many are simply just repeating what they were quote-unquote told. However, many new canners have been handicapped or even scared off completely to even attempt to preserve food in jars as a result of these half-truths, misinformation, and frankly, straight-up fear-mongering. Now, today, I want to help put an end to the misguided fear and to educate my fellow canners tuning in so that they may make sound decisions and adapt safe practices when canning recipes in their very own kitchen. Lastly, I want to make it very clear that I'm not out to downplay the severity of botulism intoxication. You know, botulism poisoning, it's real. I get it. But I really want to work hard at ending the fear-mongering by sharing with you facts, data, statistics, and knowledge. All right, so what is botulism? Botulism is a rare but serious paralytic illness caused by a nerve toxin that's produced by the bacterium Clostridium botulinum. Foodborne botulism is a serious, potentially fatal disease. However, it is quite rare. Botulism illness is caused by ingesting the neurotoxins excreted by the bacterium's spores. 
spores, which thrive in an anaerobic environment, which means there's no free oxygen. So spores thrive underground in the soil. They thrive in water. They thrive in dressed wounds. And sometimes they'll even thrive in contaminated air. I've seen many people freak out and say, oh my gosh, that means botulism is all around us. Well, there are seven distinct forms of botulism toxin. It's types A through G. Four of these types, specifically A, B, E, and rarely F, that is what causes human botulism. Types C, D, and E cause illness in other mammals, birds, and fish. Now, botulism toxin, they're ingested through improperly processed food in which the bacteria or the spores survive. They then grow and then produce the toxin. A sealed mason jar is the perfect environment for a spore to produce such toxin if, now pay attention, if, number one, the spore is present to begin with because the vegetable, meat, or seafood was not properly handled, cleaned, or prepared prior to being packed into a jar, and two, if the jar of food was not properly processed at the required time and temperature without the presence of acid. We'll get into that more in detail. Now, how often are home canners getting botulism intoxication? That has been weighing on my mind when I see some of the unjust exchanges on social media, people literally just throwing this word around to scare individuals, but not having any information to truly back it up or give that person some type of way to assess, well, how big of a problem is this really? So while botulism toxin can be deadly, I would like to provide a fresh perspective using hard data. So in the United States over the last 18 years, there's only been 43 cases or outbreaks of botulism from home canned vegetables, which are the most common cause of botulism outbreaks in the U.S. Now, the term outbreak, just so you can can rationalize this, if two people have been diagnosed with botulism poisoning, now that's an outbreak. The term outbreak to laymen like me or us, I think uh, we've all been Hollywoodized. When we hear the term outbreak, we think of hundreds or even thousands of people. But technically, when our CDC breaks it down, the Center for Disease Control starts with just two people. So please keep that in perspective. From 1996 to 2014, there were 210 outbreaks of foodborne botulism reported to the CDC. Of the 145 outbreaks that were caused by home-prepared foods, only 43 outbreaks were from home canned vegetables. So now let's let's say on average again because we know we're just going to we're going to play with some numbers here because I would have to do a lot of research to dive into whether that was 43 people whether that was uh, 430 people, I have only one, two, I should say, two um, outbreaks researched. And this is all available on my website and my Facebook page, Canning Diva. Uh, I shared some of the information and the links so you can read it in more detail. But the other was this um, individual who used home canned potatoes that were not properly processed to make a potato salad for a church event. Now, originally, 
in that outbreak, there was 42 people that were symptomatic. But when they reduced it down and actually found, you know, did their did their due diligence, their blood tests, you know, people were hospitalized. They did all of the, the nitty-gritty work. Of that 42, there were actually only 11 people who actually had botulism toxin in their system that were being treated with the antitoxin. So again, that was all that was reported a couple of years back. That's it. In the entire United States, for the entire year, 11 people in a country of 300 million wound up with botulism poisoning from home canned goods. So keep that perspective, all right? When you are hearing these terms thrown around and you hear the term outbreak and you hear, you know, the poisoning or the, you know, you start to get worked up because, of course, nobody wants to get sick. But we need to to take a step back and realize that the amount of this happening in our daily lives throughout a whole year span in a country with a population of 300 million people is so slim to none. Now, according to the World Health Organization, you'll see that acronym a lot lately, the WHO, botulism can be fatal in 5 to 10% of the cases worldwide. So while the incidence of food-derived botulism is low overall, its mortality rate is even lower, meaning the likelihood of you dying if you did get poisoned is slim to none. Do know that the highest rate of success in surviving botulism poisoning is with prompt diagnosis and appropriate immediate treatment. And thankfully, there is an antitoxin available in the event of intoxication. Now, in the United States, botulism outbreaks are commonly caused by group 1 strains, specifically stereotype A strains. The United States reports incidences of botulism cases at 0.0068 per 100,000 inhabitants. Now you can do that math. In Europe, group 2 strains are more commonly associated with foodborne botulism. Now globally, type E strains are responsible for 70% of outbreaks associated with fish, seafood, and marine mammals particularly uh, culturally fermented foods, whereas globally, types A and B are more frequently associated with vegetables and meat. But I already shared with you how small amount of those cases we, we have. You can start doing your own research. I implore you to go to the CDC's website because they track all of that taking place within the United States, and you will feel so much more secure to see People are not dropping over dead, nor are they even infecting themselves from home canning. And trust me, home canning has boomed over the last 10 years. We have seen more and more individuals going back to gardening and growing their own foods, canning and preserving their own foods. And you would think rationally, logically, that with this huge influx in people canning, that we would see a huge influx in botulism, toxin, poisoning cases, but we haven't. So feel secure in your kitchen knowing that everything you touch isn't laced with botulism spores, and that if you follow some tried and true methods of not just processing the food, but handling and preparing the food that's that's where we that's where we get rid of this this concern is in the proper washing and preparing 
then you can actually dive into canning even deeper without all the fear in saying all of that. It is imperative that I say to every one of you listening, botulism is not a byproduct of home canning. Too many canners, especially in various canning Facebook groups, really do believe in their heart of hearts that no matter what you put in a jar, if you make one mistake, you are going to create and grow botulism. It doesn't work that way, folks. Home canning foods has been a time-honored craft passed down for many generations. Further, canning has successfully been accomplished in many other countries for centuries, long before the United States was even a nation. Did you know that home canning started in France? While we have many resources and advanced technologies making home canning safer, many old methods of preserving food in jars are still used successfully to this day. Canning is not just an American pastime, people. More importantly, many countries do not employ the use of a pressure canner, and they safely preserve low-acid food in jars by way of water bathing. Oh gosh, I can see some heads exploding. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, they don't pressure can like we do here in the United States, and they haven't killed their entire family because they water bath their meat. Now, personally, I exercise and advocate the use of pressure canners, especially when preserving low acid foods, because number one, it's more efficient. All right. I can double my yield because in a pressure canner, I can double stack those jars. Also because the technology is available to us. Let's, we might as well use it, right? With that, I'm not about to tell someone who's been canning for generations successfully to stop what they're doing and, you know, not use a water bather or they're going to die of botulism. I just don't operate that way. As an educator, I teach canners to use the most current technology and methodology and techniques. But at the end of the day, I cannot control what takes place in your home kitchen. Now, as I mentioned earlier, the internet and social media groups provide a quick resource for canning and preserving information, and they allow fellow canners an outlet to share recipes and photos, to vent frustrations when experiencing a failure, and permit individuals with common interests the platform to give support to one another, especially those who are new to canning. I'm personally very proud of my canning group on Facebook. It's called Canning Dehydrating and long-term food storage. Those of you tuning in, I, I encourage you to go there. My group has grown leaps and bounds since I started working with local media and published my uh, beginner's guide to canning at the height of the um, COVID-19 pandemic. I'm, I'm, I'm really seeing such a, a, a huge gravitation towards dehydrating, freezing, long-term food storage, whether it be dry or cold, canning especially. And so this group has over 22,000 members. It's growing every day. Again, it's called Canning, Dehydrating, and Long-Term Food Storage on Facebook. So head on over there because while groups such as mine offer these wonderful attributes, there are so many that are nothing more than a haven for negativity and misinformation. So that you may discern the accuracy about botulism and canning, I want to kind of go through what I call some half-truths that I have expounded upon. And I have given you the full truth because 
when you are in other groups, you're going to see a lot of things that make you scratch your head, or you're going to literally have people, you know, shouty capping you, you know, that, oh my gosh, you're going to die. What were you thinking? Or simply banning you from the group for just asking a question. So I'm going to highlight some of these half-truths. I'm going to provide you with the full truth. And then I'm going to give you the resources available so that you can do more digging. All right? Do some more research. And um, I I just hope that if you start running into more of these half-truths and you're not sure what to believe, message me on Facebook or message me on Instagram. Shoot me an email at diane at canningdiva.com. And let's answer these things together because I'll continue to do more and more podcasts helping you all, you know, rid rid yourself of the fear and the distraction and the chaos so that we can get right to the heart of the matter and get you back to canning confidently. Okay, the first half truth is you cannot water bath low acid foods, period. (laughs) All right. Now, as I said earlier, while I do not advocate for water bathing low acid foods, you most certainly can water bath low acid foods successfully. It just takes an extended period of time at a consistent 212 degrees Fahrenheit to do so. For instance, you want to take a 90-minute pressure canning recipe and turn it into something water bath. You can do that, but you have to remember You now have to increase that time upwards to three hours of processing at a consistent 212 degrees to accomplish what you would have accomplished in a pressure canner for 90 minutes. For those of you shouting at your, your (laughs) I hope you're not, I hope you're not shouting at your computers or your phones going, oh my gosh, she's crazy. What are you doing? Or I can hear you shouting, water bathing low acid foods is not recommended by the USDA. All right. May I remind you, a recommendation means a suggestion for the best course of action. A suggestion is not a rule, nor is it a law. A suggestion or a recommendation is merely advice or encouragement, nothing more. So while I completely understand the USDA and the National Center for Home Food Preservation do not recommend you water bathing low acid foods, it doesn't mean that you cannot do so. So again, half truth and truth, there's there's the whole heart of the matter, ladies and gentlemen. Now, I leave it to you to decide the right path to take in your own home. Another half truth is... Botulism has various strains, so you can still die of botulism if you do not follow the recipe. Okay, so that's a very loaded statement with so many unanswered things. And and just let let me break this down for you. It's going to be a minute, so just bear with me. That was very loaded. And I actually took that from a canning group, which I will not name. Because this individual was harping on somebody, trying to scare the bejeepers out of them from doing what they had asked if it was safe to do. So this this was the response. Botulism has various strains, so you can still die of botulism if you do not follow the recipe. Somebody wanted to slightly deviate from a recipe and asked. Okay, so here's the full truth. Of the seven botulism toxin strains, only three truly affect humans. And don't remember, don't forget like that F strain, that's extremely rare. Yes, it does affect, but it's so rare that they can't really even, 
I mean, I couldn't even find a case of it. So of the three that affect humans, here are the types. It's either foodborne, infant, or wound botulism. So what does that mean? That means that only one type is foodborne. Now, the clostridium in foods is the focus of prevention when you're cooking and canning. So that means we've just eliminated all of those seven strands down to one. Further, this broad half-truth used to scare someone into not deviating from a recipe, it's further debunked. Even if you follow a recipe to a T, when you fail to properly clean and scrub your vegetables, when you fail to remove dirt and debris from your vegetables and your beans, if you cross-contaminate your meat with other ingredients, or you fail to properly store foods prior to canning them, the recipe is not going to save you, ladies and gentlemen. So whether you deviate from that recipe or not, if you do not properly prepare and store your food, it's a gamble. And that's, that is just the same gamble when you're cooking as it is with canning. Okay, another half-truth that is very important to touch on. Botulism spores are embedded in the skin of potatoes, so you must only home can potatoes with the skin off. Oh my goodness, no joke, guys. I get this one at least two to three times a month because right now I'm working on experimenting with a recipe that I'm going to send off to my lab at the six-month and the year mark. And I've been keeping people posted on how the experiment's going. And every time I post the picture, I get people losing their minds because they do not understand the full truth. So let's talk about that truth. Botulism spores thrive in an anaerobic environment, which means they could be underground in our soil. The spores could also be present in manure and aquatic sediments used for fertilizer. What it does not mean, however, is that the spore burrows its way into the root crop or into the skin. The spore could be in the soil still clinging to the root crop, which is why it's imperative to wash your root crops, well, all vegetables really, in fresh running water and scrub them with a vegetable brush to remove smaller soil particles that may be resting within the crooves and crevices of the root crops or the vegetable. Or if you really want to alleviate all possibilities of any soil clinging to that vegetable or root crop, you may peel them, which is why it's recommended when you're canning potatoes to can them with the skins off. It's not required. It's just one added extra safeguard, ladies and gentlemen. So when you start seeing that half-truth out there, Please know you got the full truth from the canning diva. The next one is, well, what I was touching on earlier. Botulism is not a byproduct of home canning. And this half-truth gets thrown around quite a bit. So here it is. Improperly canned low-acid foods creates botulism. Oy. Okay. Botulism is not created simply because you're canning low-acid foods. Let me give you the full truth. First of all, canning does not create Clostridium botulinum spores. Further, botulism toxin is not a byproduct of home canning. 
For a toxin to be in a canned food, whether it's home canned or commercially canned, the spore must first be present. If a spore is not present on the food, then the spore doesn't spontaneously combust and magically appear in a jar of home canned foods simply because you're home canning. Frankly, you run a greater risk of growing bacteria, mold, yeast, and fungus when you fail to properly process any recipe, low or high in acid. But for botulism toxins to be, quote, created in a jar of home canned foods, there must first be a spore present in the jar. All right, the next half-truth. Botulism cannot be destroyed by heat alone. This half-truth is missing so much context, and it's missing so much more. This, was, this is a very broad stroke statement that is used in canning groups to shut people down. And as an educator, it hurts me when people will say, well, no, 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 you're going to die because it can't be destroyed by heat. See, the term botulism needs to be expanded upon. It's not being used in the right context because there's botulism toxin and there's botulism spores, and we need to know the difference. So here's the full truth. Botulism toxin can be destroyed by heat alone. Did you hear that? The toxin will be destroyed by heat alone. It is the toxin that makes you sick. The botulism spore cannot be destroyed by heat, but it can be destroyed by acid. The spore can be ingested with little to no effect, pending you don't have any intestinal issues that could complicate matters like diverticulitis, but I digress. So please, my fellow canners, those of you tuning in, please know the difference. The next half-truth, well, the final half-truth, because I know we're running out of time here, is pressure canning your foods is the only way to kill the spores. And sadly, this is where I'm going to burst a lot of your bubbles because that is not true. I just explained a moment ago that heat cannot destroy a spore. Only acid can. So it is the heat that kills the toxin, but not the spore. And if the spore is present to begin with and the environment is conducive, you're going to have possibly the growth of botulism toxin. Now, many high acid foods do not require the higher temperatures like pressure canning because the acid kills the spore, which prevents the toxin. But there's a way to prevent botulism intoxication in the event a spore did make it into a low acid recipe that's been canned at home. I'm going to dive into that in just a moment. Let's talk about how to prevent botulism intoxication. Proper cleaning, handling, and preparing of your vegetables, meats, and seafoods eliminates the spore if it's present to begin with. This rings true even if you're cooking a meal. If you have properly cleaned your foods, the likelihood of a spore entering the jar is highly rare. If a spore has entered the jar and it has emitted toxins during long-term storage, you would never know because you cannot see, smell, or taste the toxin. To ensure your low-acid home-canned recipes remain safe to eat when you're ready to eat them, simply empty the jar contents into a pan and bring it to a boil for the required period of time. Did you guys catch that? 
because we can't tell if we have botulism toxin growing in a jar, there is a way to prevent that toxin from getting into your body. All you need to do is bring your food to a boil before consuming it. Let's dive deeper. All that is needed to properly kill the botulism toxin is an internal food temperature of 85 degrees Celsius or 185 degrees Fahrenheit for five minutes. Isn't that exciting to know? That if you just bring that jar of soup to a boil for five minutes, making sure that you have an internal food temperature, actually, you wouldn't even need to boil it for five minutes, probably. You know what I'm saying? The food internal temp needs to be 185 degrees for five full minutes. So if you have your entire soup boiling at 212 degrees and it's going on five to seven minutes, you have more than accomplished the task because the toxin cannot withstand those high temperatures. And if you if you heard me, you don't even require 212 degrees to kill the toxin. You only need 185 degrees Fahrenheit. Talk about feeling rest assured that you know, even if you didn't properly clean something and unfortunately got a spore in the jar and, and then pressure canned it and then put it on your pantry shelf by just exposing it to heat, you've made that food safe. So keep that in mind when you're preparing recipes. Gravitate to those that you know you're going to heat up or bake or use in another recipe that's exposed to heat so that you have that peace of mind. I hope that this podcast has assisted you in gaining a better understanding of what causes botulism poisoning, how to prevent it, and what traps to avoid when using social media groups for canning advice. Because canning and jarring is a worldwide craft. There are far more authorities out there than the three go-tos, which are always the USDA, the National Center for Home Food Preservation, or state extension offices. While each of those three offer sound recommendations, there are many other resources worth researching. And do not be afraid to step outside of your comfort zone and glean knowledge from those of us who have successfully canned food in jars on a daily basis for decades. Be leery of canning groups who cut down members with belittling answers or who constantly use the word botulism as a scare tactic to shut down the conversation and the admins who refuse to take time to explain their reasoning. Those are all signs that the admins spend far too much time on their computers than they do canning in their kitchen. I'm proud to share my 30 years of experience and extensive expertise with canners across the globe. I hope I've given you something to get excited about. I hope I've eased some fears. And I hope that you've learned something new today. Please reach out to me anytime if you have canning questions or if you're interested in learning more about how to stay safe when you're home canning and preserving food for long-term storage. You can reach me on my website at canningdiva.com. My email is diane at canningdiva.com. I'm on Facebook, Twitter, Pinterest, Instagram, YouTube, you name it. And if you head over to my website, you will see that I have titled a blog, Understanding Botulism When Home Canning, and I have listed all the various links that I've researched so that you can dive deeper 
and glean more information, more facts, more data, more statistics so that you feel safe and secure when canning and preserving in your home. It was a pleasure having you again. Happy Thank canning. Thank you for listening. Be sure to tune in next week for another episode of Canning with the Diva. For tips, recipes, and techniques, please visit us online at canningdiva.com.